Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. Welcome to episode 326 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is April 1st, but it's no fool, and we're here talking baseball. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, man? It's going all right. It's going all right. I'm about to murder my children, but it's going all right. If the sickness doesn't get to them first, you might. <laughs> I know that they're, they're, they're feeling ill uh, for you right oh, now, it's... and it's, it's not good. It's not a good situation. Got to get them healthy. Troy Tulowitzki was making fun of their health. That's how bad it's gotten. <laughs> you can't have that. First off, Troy Tulowitzki shouldn't be making fun of kids, but you know he had a point. He had a point that he's nice, not nice, Troy. He's been staying healthier than than the kids right now. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Sporadino you know, Sarah's at Jason Colette. Obviously, he's not on this episode, but I'll plug his Twitter anyway. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We love getting them five stars. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Got a little bit of news to talk about, and then we're going to jump into the staff picks, which were just posted today by Alex Chamberlain. We picked some of our sleeper hitters, some of our sleeper pitchers, some busts, and we'll just jump off on a few guys in there uh, within our picks. Don't have any hitter picks for Paul because Paul doesn't know how to read and, and, and put his up. Those will be up later. I'll get Alex to update it. Don't worry. But we got plenty of pitchers to talk about as well. Let's actually start with a hitter that, that you're a big fan of. Uh, Anthony Duscofani, you've got me on that train, but uh, we're looking at an oblique injury, and he could start the season on the DL, and this actually goes in tandem with another move. Remember, we talked the other day that Dan Straley was traded out to San Diego. Well, they've already waived him, but guess who picked him up? The Reds. So these two could kind of go hand-in-hand hand if Duscofani gets DL'd, Straley could take his starts. How do you feel about this situation? Well, I, I know that there's people that would rather see Robert Stevenson and that's because Robert Stevenson is a shiny, glossy prospect. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that he is as shiny and glossy 
as we kind of thought he was going to be. I mean, uh, I think we've been waiting a really long time for Robert Stevenson to show a decent changeup, and uh, he really hasn't done that yet. <clears throat> Finnegan, I think, um, you know, is I think right now the rotation is, you know, because we have our depth charts, but they have injured people on them. So I think Bailey's not ready for the season. Lamb's not ready for the start of the season, and Discofani's not ready for the start of the season. So the rotation right now is Iglesias, Simone, Finnegan. Um, Are they going to start with Moskett? You could actually put Stevenson in the rotation and still have room for Straley. So I think this is uh, – I think that what people noticed about, uh, about uh, Straley is that he's more of a starter than a reliever. I just don't think that, you know, given the health of his, of his health in the past and given his repertoire, I don't think he's a great reliever. I don't think you want to warm him up a ton of times a game. And I just don't think that he has that mentality. So I think that this is a good opportunity for him. You know, I think, you know, if he gets a couple starts in, you know, he just has to beat out Simone, I think. And then, you know, once everybody's healthy, maybe he has to beat out Finnegan, too. But, but that's, um, that's plenty doable. Like, we like Finnegan, but at the same time, he, he's not guaranteed anything. He, he hasn't shown anything that suggests that if you're not starting Brandon Finnegan, you're making a horrible mistake. Right. And then we're not even getting into the fact that Discafani's thing has gotten, you know, has sort of meandered and, and not gotten better. John Lamb's dealing with the back, which, as you know, is a, d- a difficult thing and, and can always you know, stretch out. And Homer Bailey's coming back from a big deal. So um, all of these things can morph into other things and become a big deal. And, um, yeah, this is probably one of the best places for him to be. I was going to say, even though it's a worse park than San Diego, because we yeah. talked about that being a, being a decent landing spot, they've actually got more opportunity in Cincinnati than they had in San Diego, and that's probably why San Diego moved on from him. So I, I, I kind of like this move as well. Yeah, I think, I think <clears throat> this is a good situation for him. And, um, well, you know, I think that he has had a problem with homers, but that was also related to his fastball velocity. And when he got drafted by the athletics, he got drafted because he had a 94 mile an hour fastball and he really almost didn't have any other pitch. And he was just learning a slider and, you know, his sliders pretty been pretty good since. And then they taught him a changeup and, uh, the, you know, it's three good pitches when he's 93, 94, when he's 89, that's when he's giving up home runs. So, um, you know, he went and worked with the, the, the people at Driveline Baseball. And um, August Fagerstrom has a little piece about it, about, you know, what the different drills was drills were that, that helped him. And he got back up to 93, 94 again. So that's great. Uh, if he's if he's sitting 93, that's above average velocity for a right hander. And in the National League, with two secondary pitches that are good and decent command. I mean, given it, you know, look at his career numbers. Command doesn't seem to be really, really the problem, unless it's command in the zone and he's just throwing to the middle of the zone. But I don't necessarily think that's what he's doing. So, uh, I, I, I've always thought that there's a little something there, and he's got a chance. And uh, this is the team to give him a chance. I mean, this is the team to give him a chance, also because they are the quantity over quality. Absolutely, team. they've got the they, runway. They have my pitching staff. This is if I was running a, a major league team, it would look like my staff would look like the Red Staff. I mean, uh, not only did I project, predict, not project, uh, bold predict even uh, that they'd have three top thirty starters. But I just, you know, I just like what they've done. They found guys with one plus pitch 
and added other pitches to them. They found guys with two-plus secondary pitches and some homer problems and decided to take a chance on them. Uh, they found injured guys, and they found young guys where there's question marks. These are the kind of guys I you know, gravitate towards because – you know, I don't want to do that on the bat side. I want to do that on the pitching exactly. side. On the bat side, I want to take top 10 prospects. I want to get your stud. I want to pay for the biggest bat I can get. I want to get all the bats because bats are, you know, more stable year to year. And and scouts, I think, are frankly, it's been shown, scouts are better at finding bats. So, um, you know, pitching is so damn volatile. Uh, yeah. That I, I agree. I like this strategy as well. And they've got, like I said, they've got the runway as a non-competing team to try this stuff out. Try out a bunch of guys. See what you can get. You know, Rice Iglesias is probably not going to get 200 innings. So there's going to be some innings even in his spot eventually. Uh, you know, Simone, the best case scenario there would be if he does something capable that they can flip and get him out of there. 35, he is ancient for this rotation. Most of the guys are 27 and under. And I think there was a stretch last year where they had the most games ever in a row started by rookie pitchers so they're they're committed to just trying to see what they've got here and not fill the rotation with a bunch of these you know cromulent but whatever kind of worthless uh long-term starters simone i guess is just a placeholder for that because bailey lamb lorenzen and even john moskett who i mentioned earlier all got hurt and they maybe panicked a little bit thinking well we got to have something and so they so they brought in simone there but uh iglesias finnegan straley descalfani those are going to be the four who are – and John Lamb when he gets healthy. Those are the five who are going to be able to give you the best shot at having that bold prediction come true. Let's move on to Andrew Miller for the Met, uh, for the Mets. For the Yankees, the Mets wish. Um, Andrew Miller got hit in the non-throwing wrist, and I believe it, it broke it off a little bit. There's like a loose body floating around in there, I believe is how I understand the situation. But he's going to go ahead and pitch through it. Do you think there's any impact here for Andrew Miller? Uh just more risk you know i don't i don't know that you know there isn't there is an important function for that lead wrist actually in that you have to it has to pull your whole body through you mm -hmm. you you kind of uh use you use that wrist to to pull down and separate your shoulders is how it's explained to me so you get the separation of your shoulders by pulling down on the front one and pulling back on the second one and they sort of snap together and that's part of what gives you velocity? So if he if he has trouble, you know, with that lead arm, it can it can it can screw him up mechanically. But at the same time, what I've heard is that it's just it's just pain. So exactly, it's a pain tolerance situation. And and if and if he's the one who's saying he can do it, then um, then just you know it's it's supposedly a useless bone, and you know it's all about the pain. If he can handle it, he can handle it. Then he can still pull through and have his as have his good mechanics. So I. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, all systems go, but I'm definitely not selling low on him. Not and, and would uh, you would you buy in a, in a draft this weekend, particularly if a if a buck or two came off the retail price? Yeah, I think I would actually. I think I would. Same, same. So we're we're, we're staying we're sticking tight with Andrew Miller because he is a guy that I know he's only going to get kind of the month, and I actually think Chapman will come right back in. No worries there. Um, he's only going to get the month of saves, but the fact is his five months of setup. Is still going to be very valuable even in a mixed league. He's like he's just like his teammate Dylan Batances, who they don't need saves to be worthwhile. So I'm, I'm I'm sticking in, especially if there's a discount. And I think it'll probably be a buck or two, but if it's three or four, five bucks, man, sign me up even more. Let's talk about the Dodgers' fifth starter role because right now it's wide open and 
remember, flashback a month ago, and they had more names than they knew what to do with. But the injuries have just started piling up. They kind of went the quantity route to replace Grinky by going with uh, you know that Kershaw, obviously at the top, and then it's Casimir, Maeda, Wood, and and then was supposed to be Bullsinger. Well, he's not going to be ready. Yunjin Ryu is hurt. Brad Anderson got hurt. Brandon McCarthy was already going to be coming in hurt because he's still recovering from TJ. Frankie Montas was one of the first injuries of the entire season back in uh, mid-February. So they've already lost a ton of potential starting options to the point where it's now Carlos Frias versus Ross Stripling. Now, these are some low-level prospects, but do you see any potential value? First off, handicap who you think might win and which of the two would have the better chance at being, let's say, 15-team viable because I don't think either of them – at, at present is 10 or 12 team viable. They'd have to show something to reach that level. So what do you think of Ross Stripling and Carlos Frias? It's, it's, it's hard to find something, uh, you know, that uh, I love in the pitch FX for Ross Stripling. It's very strange. He's, a, I guess he's got a rising fastball, which is nice, but super straight. I, I've noticed actually though, that a lot of rising fastballs are super straight. It's, it's I think it's a function of physics. Agreed that you're basically pulling down on the ball uh, in a way that doesn't create sideways movement. It creates upwards movement. So, uh, you know, I guess a rising fastball that offsets his, um, what it would otherwise look like a middling change probably makes it look better. Um, The slider at 88 is pretty nice and hard. Um, And then the curve at 78 is, you know, looks like an average curve. Uh, And uh, he's thrown 16 of them and gotten a whiff. So, uh, or maybe two. I don't know. I can't do that math. So, uh, you know, he's. I can, the point is the sample's really small on his pitch FX, but um, the movements look okay. Farnsworth said that he has a three average or better pitches with average command, and he could be a fourth or fifth starter. Um, and, you know, to be honest, no matter what complaints you have about Dan Farnsworth's prospect coverage, and I've, and I've heard them all. Uh, the, Wait, people the on the internet are complaining about something? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call BS on you. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it offline, but for now I'm going to call BS because I, I, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe it. Um, and the, uh, <clears throat> this is the kind of guy that he really likes, you know, and t- he ranked him 21st in the, in the um, you know, he, he might, he, he likes floor and he, and he likes projectable guys that are useful, uh, not projectable. I, I use that wrong. He likes guys that are useful now, guys that are closer to the ceiling. That's one thing that, you know, I've heard as a, as a critique of him, honestly. And uh, so to have a guy that sort of fits what Farnsworth likes, and he's still 21st in the organization uh, behind other other right-handers and, um, you know, young guys and just all sorts of, of pitchers, uh, I think that says that he is definitely like a six or seven starter and that this, that strip, you know, flaws here that... Um, that we haven't uh, that we haven't you know seen enough of him to to figure out yet. Um, you know he does in the minor leagues. He just didn't have the really good strikeout rates uh, in the bigger sample years that he did. Uh, just like I, I would say above average command. Just you know just from scanning his his walk rates um, and um, his steamer projection. His steamer projection is nice three point six one point two four, but. Um, that's in 10 relief appearances. So uh, that always changes things. I, I kind of like Frias a little bit better yeah, like just because, yeah, you know, he's got, 
just a little bit more of an established uh, track record in the big leagues. And um, he's had little flashes of brilliance. I mean, he's had he's had some things going for him. And, uh, you know, that, that first time he came up was, was uh, good in terms of strikeouts and walks. And then his ERA got better and his strikeouts and walks got worse. But, um, you know, figure that one out. He still has 95-mile-an-hour gas, you know. And, and I know that it looks right now like just 95-mile-an-hour gas and a, you know, 90-mile-an-hour cutter. But he does throw those other pitches, you know, a combined 13 14% of the time, the curve and the change. And um, who's to say that's not quite an, that's not enough? You know, I think um, I think Frias uh, is a couple lucky starts, a couple couple good luck starts from you know figuring something out for possibly. And uh, so I, I like him a little bit, and I think he'll get the job. So I'm Frias, 15 team reserve. Would you take a shot this weekend? Only the kind of league where there's a lot of velocity. In, on your, um, and I don't mean velocity, you know, pitching velocity. I mean, there's a lot of velocity in the, in the waiver. A lot wire. of churning. I, the kind of place, yeah, the kind of place where you would be streaming, basically. Like, uh, I would count him as like kind of, kind of like a 15, 18 team streamer where you pick him up because you like the matchup. Um, I don't know exactly where they're, where they are. Uh, that's, um, useful information. Let me check. Oh, where that they're out. starting, you mean? Um, yeah. It's at San Diego. Obviously, he won't probably won't get in that. That's three games. But then at San Francisco. So I think that's first start's a nice place yeah, to be. And it's against Matt Cain, so the, his offense could support him pretty easily. Yeah, it could get a W. So it might be, you know, uh, he gives up three or four runs and gets you four strikeouts in six innings, kind of. Eh. GW, but in those leagues, you know, especially a head-to-head, um, you know, it's volume, it's a win, um, you know, and it's a, and it's a look. It's a look with the guy on your right. roster where you say, okay, you know, is he going to trust the changeup more this year? And uh, is he more of a viable three, three, four pitch guy? I know now? Car- uh, oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, I know Carson yeah. Sestouli was a big Carlos Frias guy as well. Uh, and I believe that's where I first really kind of learned and honed in on him as somebody to kind of keep an eye on who has some intriguing stuff, but obviously needs to kind of put it together. This will be a good first shot. Maybe take a chance, like you said. If, you, if, if you're burning and churning your last few reserve spots in a 15-team league, this could be one that you use for a short-term situation. You're not necessarily looking at Carlos Frias as somebody who can even get you to the All-Star break, let alone Memorial Day, because they're obviously going to eventually get healthy and he'll be an easy guy to remove. Even if he's doing, he'd have to do like exceptionally well to hold the rotation spot. If he's just doing okay and Yunjin Ryu comes back, Yunjin Ryu is going back in the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see, you know, I guess what he would, what he could do is uh, surpass Mike Bolsinger as the sixth starter. Yes. And, uh, you know, be good enough where they're like, oh, you know what, N- you know, next time, uh, you know, Casimir has to sit down or, you know, uh, we want to skip Ryu to keep his innings down or something. We're going to we're going to bring in Frias over Bolsinger. I think that's I think that's what's at stake here a little bit. All right, I think that makes a lot of sense. So that's who we're going with. We're going with Frias over the uh, ver- versus Ross Stripling in the fifth starter battle that we did not think was going to happen <laughs> out there. And I don't think that they did either, in fairness to the Dodgers. They, they, that's not how they wanted it to be set up. But you know what? It's a six-month season. They really just need a, uh, a there are a lot of Swiss flags on that on that starting pitcher depth it, chart. It, it's right brutal. There. It is brutal. And, and if you don't know what Eno's talking about, you probably don't play on CBS. But they put the little uh, <laughs> red box with the white cross. 
If you got too much Swiss on your team, you're in trouble. And the Dodgers are Swissed <laughs> up. Let's talk about some staff picks. This is put together by Alex Chamberlain. I really like this uh, yearly event that we do. This is my second year, obviously, doing it. We go with a shallow sleeper, a deep sleeper, an undrafted free agent, best rookie, best sophomore, best comeback, biggest bust. And he puts the criteria in there in terms of um, what – Top, you know, top 200 is what we're talking about for shallow sleeper. Anybody inside the top 200, and that's based on NFBC average draft data, which you and I reference throughout the uh, offseason on this podcast. So it's in line with what we've already been talking about. So a lot of these names that you have aren't going to surprise folks. Um, so I'm going to give your your shallow, your deep, and your undrafted free agent first, and you only pick one of them that you want to dive in on a little bit more because we have discussed these guys at length, but this is your chance to kind of give them one last push. So your shallow sleeper inside the top 200, Yasiel Puig, love it. Your deep sleeper, roughly pick 200 to 300, 201 to 300. Brett Laurie, we recently discussed him. And then your undrafted free agent guy outside the top 300, who's obviously not being drafted in a lot of leagues, is Jake Lamb. So of those three, who do you want to talk about? Actually, I was thinking about talking about other picks. Oh, and, other uh, picks. That's, that's completely fine, too. Yeah. Well, you know, it just uh, it gives you an opportunity to hear about uh, guys that, that we employ that, uh, that, that write for us that uh, have different ideas about things. You know, one, you know, a couple stick out for me um, are, are uh, Delano DeShields and Gerardo Parra. Uh, Tanner Bell picked Gerardo Parra. And then Bertrand Brothers and Alex Chamberlain had Delano DeShields. And I find those interesting because I'm kind of, I'm not on the other side, but I, I, you know, I've had people ask me, Para is going to be on waiver wires in three weeks, right? What? And do you, do you um, think that as well? No, but it's uh, I doubt I don't know how much of a sleeper he is. Like I just what I think what we've talked about is like I think that the park will help cover up some of the regression that's, that's coming. Exactly, but man, so I, I just don't think that the park is going to add much because what the park does for the most part is add BABIP, and he had such a crazy BABIP last year. So I don't think that. You know, he's not going to have like a 380 or, I mean, he might, but, <laughs> but you know, yeah, I, we're not projecting that obviously. Right. So I wouldn't. Okay. That, that's, that's get... a fair critique on Para that, you know, he already had a 344 Babbitt last year or 334, you know, in a full season, 589 plate appearances, how much higher can it get? But isn't he pretty darn good, even if he only repeats? Because that was the uh, he was the 30th best outfielder last year. And I think if he does kind of his same triple slash in Colorado, is it safe to suggest that maybe we could get more runs and more RBIs? Uh, yeah, and he's been taken as the 48th best outfielder right now. So just a repeat would make him a sleeper. So I guess that's, that's the deal there, um, is that we kind of agree in the end. It's like, He's calling him a sleeper because he can maybe do, you know, 30 to 35 again. He's going at 50. Yeah, exactly. So that's 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 an interesting uh, – yeah, I think that's what, a good way to – What about to, DeShields? To, to, he's sitting DeShields, 45th. He's 45th. You know, I don't know that I want – do I want to take him over Brett Gardner? I mean, I know Brett Gardner's boring, but Brett Gardner is probably going to do 2020 type uh, stuff. By the you way, know? How, how bad is it? that so many guys get pressed down because they're boring. I mean, I, yeah. I, I do it too. I'm not even going to sit here and, and throw Shinsu stones. Chu, Cole Calhoun, Shinsu Chu, Brett Gardner, 34, 37, 38. Now, they're not behind Delano DeShield, so you can't be like, uh Now, Jacob Ellsbury, 31, 
you know, if I could have Delano Shields 14 picks later, I'm passing on Jacoby Ellsbury because not only did he never recover his exit velocity last year, it just looked hurt all year. And uh, Delano Shields is younger and has a similar skill set and is just ready so, to go. So, you know, there there are there are situations in which I will consider Delano Shields a, a, a sleeper. But, you know, you have to remember that this is a guy with, you know, that was minus makeup that, you know, everyone was asking if he even cared about baseball. Uh, he's a right hander. So if there's any whiff of like platoon stuff happening, you know, they can find a lefty platoon partner for him. And all of a sudden he's playing a quarter of the time. So, you know, I, like Billy Burns is going 36 and Delano Shields is going 45. I think that's interesting because I think Billy Burns has similar types of risk because sim- Billy Burns is better from the right side of the plate, but he is a switch hitter. Uh, Billy Burns is supposed to have 50, 50 steal uh, upside like Delano Shields. However, Billy Burns didn't really take off that much, as much as 50, you know, like he didn't show that in his first time exactly. around. Uh, Billy Burns is supposed to walk more. Delano Shields did walk more, uh, did walk as much as he was supposed to when he came in. So uh, in some ways, you know, Billy Burns at 36, Delano Shields at 45, Delano Shields represents a sleeper compared to Billy Burns. But I just, I feel like, you know, looking at their teams and their team situations, I don't think that the A's, as much as they've built themselves on depth and everything, I think the A's are locked into Billy Burns. I agree. I think they have no other choice because... You know, you can put Sam Fold in that role, but Sam Fold is hurt. And if you're platooning Sam Fold with Billy Burns in center field, I think things are not going so well. So I think that they're going to they're gonna really – and this is – I got accused of, of bias for the guys I like on my chat. And it actually, I actually got kind of mad because, you know, screw you. I'm not out here talking about Sam Fold as a friggin' sleeper because I love exactly. him to death, You know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ. I just told you that the, the A's are locked in with Millie Burns, and Sam is definitely a backup. And I don't think he'd even argue with me, on, you know, off the record. <laughs> on the record, on the record say, no, I'm going out there. I'm trying to, trying to get it I'm done. I'm going to be, yeah. gonna do everything I can. I might, I might Tanya Harding yeah, him. Billy Burns and Delano DeShields in Texas, they got Lewis Brinson. I, See, I mean, that's the big concern. And, and Brinson, if, he, if, he's, if he spends a month being Lewis Brinson again, I know that they're supposed to take it uh, uh, take it short with him, but let's say he spends a month tearing up the minor leagues with like an eighteen percent strikeout rate and like a eight, nine, ten percent walk rate. That'll look so good, and it'll be like such an you know. And then if Delano Shields is just stinking it up against against well, right-handers, maybe not even and, that too. What about the defensive piece? Because that's the big knock that I've heard on Shields that puts him at risk, especially when you do a comparison with Brinson. And if he was a bad second baseman, yeah. right? And yeah. Princeton's out there tracking everything down, and and DeShields is still doing his weird his weird roots and not really figuring out center field. So, um, yeah, I think that there's uh, there's a lot uh, of risk there. Billy is is strong defensively. He's a switch hitter at the very least, and his team seems locked into him. So, if you're going to call Delano DeShields a sleeper, then I'm going to uh, take Billy even with the you know the extra picks. I think so. Uh, that was just a one that, that those are caught my eye. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I, I'm just saying that I that's why I didn't ca- I wouldn't have picked those and uh, they caught my we eye. We didn't get uh, we haven't gotten too deep on on this guy, so I'm very interested. I, I like your your strategy of actually looking at other folks' picks instead of just delving in on ours because we probably talked about those guys. So 
One who yeah. ended up being a, a two-time deep sleeper, and again, that's 201 to pick 300, is Domingo Santana for Milwaukee. And uh, again, we have not spoken too much about him. Looks like he's got a, an outfield job locked down. I feel like all the Milwaukee outfield talk has really been about Keon Broxton because he's kind of a newcomer on the scene having that huge spring. But Domingo Santana has done nothing to, to dissuade folks uh, to be interested in him. He's gone out, put up a really big spring himself, not getting as much run for it. But uh, looks like he's going to be batting right in the middle of that lineup, too. Roster Resource has Domingo Santana penciled it in at, at fifth. And I'm cool with that. You know, this lineup, they're not going to be a good team. I'm not going to try to trick anybody into that. But I don't think they're going to be <laughs> dreadful. I don't think they're going to be three runs Carson, a game. Carson picked them for a wild card. <laughs> what's, what's that? Carson picked them for a that wild Carson. card. Carson. He, he and his shifty mustache. <laughs> I love Carson. He's great. So I don't think that that's going to happen. But Domingo Santana, I think, could be a nice hidden gem. And so Zach Sanders and the Birchwood brothers, so technically three people, you could say, pick, picked him as their as their deep sleeper. What do you think of Domingo Santana? I, I like him. I like him. I, I'm a, there's obvious risk associated with his swing and miss. And uh, he's going to be, you know, a, a more athletic Chris Carter type in a way. I mean, he's going to be 10%, 30%. Last year he was, you know, 11% walk rate, 34% strikeout rate. So lots of uh, three three true outcomes there. And so he's going to be a risk for your batting average. But, you know, in terms of tools, man, you know, he's, he's uh, as they say, dripping with them. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. And if he can, you know, it's not probably a great thing to own at the end of the career. But in the, you know, in the beginning of the career, I think if he can be aggressive while taking his walks, which is, you know, a key thing. I think he can overcome a lot of natural swing and miss in your swing. I mean, it's the kind of the we talk about um, uh, about uh, when Josh Hamilton was good. That's a good, yeah, you know, great name. Don't don't like not take a Josh Hamilton type when they're twenty. What, what is he? Domingo Santana's twenty three. Don't take a twenty three year old Josh Hamilton because you remember what Josh Hamilton looked at, like at thirty two. You know that, that's I mean? a great point. When yeah. that bat slows down, that's when it becomes a huge factor. But right now kind of at the peak of their powers, you know, we've, we've seen the good and bad of it with somebody like uh, Jock Peterson, you know, uh, he had that amazing run. It caught up to him a little bit. And so there's that potential risk that you're taking with the Domingo Santana, but that upside is, you know, Jock Peterson extends his run for three, four months into the season. And all of a sudden it's a much fatter bottom line. And I think we, we have some of that potential with the Domingo Santana, who, by the way, folks don't know that they, he was a big cog in that uh, Carlos Gomez deal, I believe, from Houston. So he was a big prospect with them. He also has a little bit of speed, right? He could be a double-digit stolen base guy. He's not a burner or anything, but I think he could get kind of 8 to 10 stolen bases. And if you're getting that with a 20-something homer season, that's looking really nice in your outfield at, after pick 200. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to I'm willing to push past the fans. I don't know that for once the fans are kind of chill on you something. know they're right they're right there with everybody else. I'm willing to push past the fans and give him like 260, you know, 28 and 10 kind of upside. That's filthy. Year. That'd be so I mean, nice. And that's that's the kind of and he's going at 66. So you know he's going right there by Rosnan Castillo, who does not have the unless he needs. <laughs> Things to yeah. happen. He needs to be traded to a team. He needs to be traded to like the Rockies. You know what I mean? You're so right. I, I don't think uh, I don't think that uh, I'd be passing Eddie Rosario. We talked about the risk there. Avisel Garcia looks like he's going to face only lefties. 
Uh, that's the kind of people he's being picked around. Colby Rasmus could, you know, could be a bench guy if if uh, if other guys step forward around him. Aaron Hicks is a bench guy and is getting picked right there. Kevin so, Maven isn't even healthy uh, yet. Yeah, right. Kevin Maven is getting picked ahead of him. Steven Sows is getting picked ahead of him, and Sows is a yeah, backup. I, it's crazy. His his value right now is great. Domingo Santana's two pick two eighty off the board. You said sixty sixth outfielder. Uh, that is prime. Look at his minimum pick. Someone picked him at forty nine. That must have been Carson. And if you see <laughs> all the Brewers. 396, man. I'd be so happy to get him at 396. I would die. That'd be so great. <laughs> I actually just took him in a draft, and it was pretty late. It's a it's a 13-team mixed league, and I don't know the exact pick number, which kind of botches the story, but I'm, I I want to say it was a round that begins with a two, and it wasn't round two. It was 20-something. So, um, yeah, it's a slow draft that we've been doing uh, via the Internet for a while now, and he just didn't go. And this league has some pretty sharp guys. They're actually usually in on the prospects even more than, than some more uh, established major leaguers, and I got him in round 26. And it was 12 team mixed league. Sorry about that. So what is that? 20. I, I'm not. I'm not very good at math off the top of my head, folks. I think I've proven that out. Yeah, that's after pick 300. It was pick 308 for me. Sign me up all day on Domingo Santana for that. A- anybody else in the uh, in the hitters that you that uh, the shallow sleeper, deep sleeper, undrafted free agents that you really want to get into before we move on to rookie sophomores and comebacks? Um. You know, I think John Jaso, the Birchwood Brothers, that's an interesting one. I think it's a little bit more interesting in OBP leagues. And NL only, uh, ideally, if you could get if you could mix the two, which I, I have an NL only auction this week, so I hope none of you jerks are listening. But uh, I mean he, he's not gonna give you he's kind of an empty average OBP and in terms of his career average two sixty three. So, you know, I I don't think I'd push his projection must much past like a two sixty average and ten homers. So that's yeah, definitely more of a of a deep uh, option. Um, you know, a surprise, good in daily leagues because he's going to get platooned and not not face a lot of lefties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but against righties, he's been very good in points leagues and OBP leagues. Uh, that's a, that's a great one. That's that's one that stands out, and particularly in those situations. And then you know, Brad Miller is a guy that I've been poo pooing a little bit as you know headed for a platoon. However, Brad Miller, uh, you know, they've said that. Um, He's not going to platoon, at least with Tim Beckham, and it's not obvious who the other shortstop platoon situation for him would yeah, be. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I thought they would have made actually a kind of a perfect platoon because Beckham did show some proficiency yeah, against I lefties. Think just, I think Beckham's been been playing poorly, and I, I don't know. I, I, I still think there's that risk because, you know, they may be saying those things now, but uh, the regular season is different than the, than the you know, and they may if Tim Beckham's on the roster – when is Brad Miller going to get you get a rest? He's going to get a rest against the exactly. lefties. So, you know, they may not call it a platoon, but they may, you know, find ways to get Tim Beckham in there against lefties. So, um, you know, I do like his his skill set at the plate, and uh, and I, otherwise, I'm totally behind him as a sleeper and and have him in a couple places. But most of the places I have him are the kind of places where you have a deep bench, and what you can do is um, and it's daily. And what you can do is have like a Brad Miller, Marcus Simeon situation mm-hmm. or, you know, or worse, depending on who your, who your shortstop is. But put Brad Miller as part of a tandem. That's when I feel better about him. But um, anyways, that's, you know, the 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 other names that are interesting. I mean, Keon Broxton, and Tyler Goodell are basically like, you know, uh, what I would call almost all opportunity. Sleepers. Yeah, because they're rule five guys who are going to get their chance. 
you know, they had yeah. decent springs. Broxton had a really good spring. That that that's kind of earning them the chances, the Rule Five uh, status that they have, because obviously those teams want to see if they've got anything before sending them back, possibly. And so they're going to get their chances. Although it looks like Goodell, uh, Pete McCannon said he's not going to be an everyday player, whereas Broxton did did earn a starting job in that outfield. So he's the better of the two, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And Goodell's a righty. Uh, I mean, I, I think Broxton's a righty. Broxton is a righty as well. Yes. Yeah, they're both righties, but you know, just having the manager behind your back like that, um, you know, Broxton case. I just think that Newenhouse's um, uh, his his uh, center field defense is not really. It's not uh, to the point where you'd want to make him your everyday center exactly. fielder. So, no, I, yeah, I, so. I completely agree there, and that's going to keep Keon Broxton in some playing time. Now, I think they dabble with some Domingo Santana out there last year. Um, but I think it, Broxton's going to get a decent enough leash to see how real that spring is. Uh, New and Heis, you know, might come in every once in a while. He does have that that platoon advantage, but he's just not a very good hitter either. So if you're not playing premium defense in center field and you're not that good of a hitter, it's hard to find a lot of time for you. So we do like Broxton out of those two. Let's move on. Uh, the rookies and sophomores, honestly, I feel like we've really talked them all to death. When, when you're looking at them, it's Corey Seager, Byung-Ho Park, Nomar Mazzara. Um, another park, another tons of Seager, Trevor Story for the sophomore. It's almost all Correa, Bryant, and Sano. Michael Conforto's in there for one. Stephen Piscotti for one. I'm not sure that anybody jumps out that we haven't really talked about. If you want to hit on somebody, let's go ahead and do that real fast, and then we'll go to the comebacks and busts, which I think have a lot more alluring names. Yeah, there's you know I went with Bianco Park just because I knew everyone was going with Corey Seager and. You know, that pumps up Corey Seager's price. Bianco Park seems to be going cheap. Tyler White, we talked about last week, and I just wanted to reiterate the fact that I'd take the over on his projected batting average. It's around 260. And uh, I, I think that they, he might have some sort of BABIP skill. He had BABIPs, you know, near 400 a couple times in the minor wow. leagues. And, uh, you know, I, that's, it's hard to use that because they're bad defenders yep. and bad parks. And that's, I know all that stuff. I'm not saying he's going to have an OBP of 400, but possibly – He's going to have better than a league average OBP, which is what everyone gives a rookie. So uh, I'll take like a 270, 275 average, uh, 10 homers. It looks like, you know, I think he's going to get some some uh, blow there at first base that John Singleton doesn't seem ready. And A.J. Reed, you know, I don't think they're going to start his clock till July. So, you know, uh, in terms of how they, they act, I think Tyler White has two months to, to prove what he's got. And if, if two months in, He's walking 10% of the time, striking out 15% of the time, and hitting 275. Why change? They're gonna, they're gonna, yeah, they're going to yeah. keep him. So, <laughs> so we, uh, I think that's a, that's a fun one. And I, I wish I had a couple more shares of Tyler White. I'm, I'm going to see if I can find some more. But um, And then on the sophomore side, uh, you know, I think Conforto is an interesting name. It obviously, is the easy one because, definitely. you know, even if he just repeats what he did last year, and Sano, even if they just repeat what they did last year, and do them with more more reps than than they'll be the easy winners. But and and Chris Bryant same thing. But Conforto's interesting because I think there I like him better as a hitter even than he showed at first, and I like him better as a hitter than his projections. I think he has oppo power, really good approach to the plate. However, in terms of playing time, 
I, I got to cap his plate plate appearances at like 450, 500. He's just not going to play much against. Yeah, Lefty. they already said they're they're basically going to platoon him. The only hope there is that they kind of shift the platoon over to to Granderson. But you know he's he's kind of kind of he's kind of got that team leader leadoff guy thing working for him where they're willing to give him the the reps against it's lefties. What? Yeah, I think you're basically waiting for a Granderson injury, which is not crazy because he's he's getting up you know there. he's older. You get, he could get injured, but without a Granderson injury, you know, Conforto's probably at 450. So I, I think even factoring in 15 days off for Granderson, you get to 500 with Conforto. Otherwise, like a straight platoon guy is only around 400. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and he, you could basically say he's in a straight platoon with Juan Lagares, but, you know, he's not really. And we're, you know, maybe some Granderson injuries and, and some late plate appearances and stuff, the pinch hits type stuff. But pinch hits aren't really good for you. They probably won't end up on your roster. And, and they're, you, you know, start. harder to have success with anyway. Yeah. So they're not even plate appearances that you necessarily want. So we'll keep an eye on Conforto there. I do like the pick because I'm, I'm a fan of his game. I hope that they kind of wise up and realize that the only way he's going to get better against lefties at the major league level is to actually face them. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of obvious picks there and I understand that, you know, the, the Correa carried the the day there and it's completely understandable because like you said, all he really has to do is repeat. Let's talk comebacks and busts because there, there's some interesting names here. You know, Will Myers got some good run in the, in the comebacks. Uh, Victor Martinez, I see being listed a couple times. You listed Marcelo Zuna, who I believe we talked about just a couple episodes ago. Um, Leonis Martin is an interesting one. He pops up two different times. Anybody here that jumps out that you're interested in talking about? Well, you know, I, I, I'm just a little worried about Victor Martinez. The, the hammy is already gone. You know, like you know, I just think he'll be injured a lot, and so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not 100 on that train. Uh, Luke Roy seems like a, a, a solid, easy pick. I don't, I don't have any complaints with that. Um, and uh, Will Myers, we've talked about, it's kind of the health thing. It's like finally this is the year he'll be healthy. Uh, Carlos Gomez, I think it's almost the same thing as you're betting that his health is going to exactly. get better. I mean, his, his playing has been all right. Uh, th- I think the most interesting one on here is uh, probably. Um, mine no no i know uh, I, I, I think it's interesting to put marcelo zuna in there because he's the only guy who played a, like almost a full season last year and so you're basically saying it's true comeback it's not you know oh he was injured all last year and he's gonna be healthy this year and he's gonna be better it's it's more like he was bad last year and i think he's gonna be good mm-hmm. this year so uh that's that's i think the sort of truest sense of the word of course uh, comeback has been defined all sorts of different ways so it's fine to have all these different ways of doing it. Leonis Martinez, another one like Ozuna, where he did play. He was just terrible. So bad. Uh, and I and I can get behind Leonis Martinez. I, I mean, I, I think it's only going to be two thirds playing time, and it's only going to be like two seventy with seven homers and twenty five stolen bases. But that's pretty useful in most leagues. I, I completely agree. I I like both these guys. Like I said when we did the bold predictions uh, for you last time out, we talked. Uh, deep dive a little bit on Ozuna. So if you want to hear more on him, go back to that episode. Leonis Martin, I, I was bought in last year, so I, I, I took that hit pretty badly. He got he was devastatingly bad last year. Like only 310 plate appearances, but those 310 plate appearances really hurt you. 219 average, a 50 WRC+. plus. That is brutal. Not even the 14 stolen bases could really make that up. But prime defender in center field, 
going to get the playing time. I love those kinds of guys. I, I, I hammer that point home all the time. Guys with defense, that's going to guarantee them the reps. I'm really interested in Leonis Martin. New club. I think we'll see a little bit more out of him this year. Maybe I'm still just drunk off of that big round rock season that I saw a whole bunch of when he had the power and the speed, the defense, everything was there. He looks so darn good. If you can just get some of that, uh, some of that vibe going, I think he could be special, but let's move over to the busts because there are some really interesting names here, including some guys who popped up in the other sections, the, the positive sections. Uh, we talked about Miguel Sano. You said he was mentioned in the sophomore section. Well, he's also Scott Spratt's bust. Um, Carlos Gomez, someone we just talked about. He's Josh Shepardson's yeah. bust. Carlos Correa is interestingly, not only Jeff Zimmerman's best sophomore, but also his bust. So that, that one, he's kind of covering his bases. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I could see both That's things the thing. happening. Because it, it really could. He could, could be a great sophomore, but not worth a first-round pick, which is what everyone's been. And so. I think that that's where he's going with it. So looking up and down these busts. Oh, did we fire Brad Johnson yet for putting Joey Votto? Uh, well, Joey had a great year, and he's older. We need a, so new, uh, we need uh, a new writer. Cespedes, I actually wrote about over the over this over the winter that Cespedes is has the biggest drop-off between last year's production and next year's projection. Oh, wow. So in terms of just straight, and it's, it, it was a wins above replacement thing, so it's more of a real-life yeah, baseball thing. and defense. something to do with Cespedes' defensive standout year last year. But uh, they're going to be asking him to play center. Maybe that's where the projections will be off and he'll get more defensive value, or he'll so be so bad in center that it'll create a, a, basically a, a rolling thunderstorm situation where – he can't play in center, and then he's had in a bad streak, and then Conforto is starting to look better, and then we start having some crazy conversations on on New York radio waves. So, I, I think Cespedes has a lot of bust potential, and I'm not I'm not I'm not getting a lot of shares of him. All the stuff I have of him are just leftover shares in keeper leagues where nobody wanted to buy yeah. him. I think that's a great a great sign is for a bust dumb is when you're trying to sell a guy after a really good great season and nobody wants to buy him. So. Um, you know, Xander Bogarts, you know, what if the runs in RBI, what if they put him down? What if he doesn't develop power and they put him down in the bottom of the lineup? That's you know, dumb. then he doesn't get as many of the runs in RBI. I they don't do that. You know, that's sort of, yeah. <laughs> Lindor, what if he doesn't really keep that power level and he's more of a 525 yeah. guy, gives you Elvis Andrews stats for, you or know, much higher twice cost. Elvis Andrews. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, so. he's he's definitely a good one. Yeah. There's good names. You can understand the case behind all of them. There's a Kyle Schwarber on there. That one's not surprising because we kind of saw, you know, how it can go wrong for for the second half of his season last year when the average was really down. He still has the power though. That power can just he can kind of overpower his way to ensuring he's not that bad. But let's move on to the pitchers. Let's talk uh, shallow sleeper, deep sleeper, undrafted free agent. Lots of interesting names here as well. I don't know how my shallow sleeper got cut off, but for those curious, it's the same as Tanner Bell's and Alex Chamberlain's. It's Patrick Corbin, so that gives him three votes there in the shallow sleeper. Deep sleeper, Wei-Yin Chen gets a couple mentions. I see some Clay Buckholes. We need to fire Alex Chamberlain, I guess, then two. Oh, and Scott Spratt. We got three openings, four openings. Uh, Chad Young put Clay Buckholes, so we're firing Brad, Chad, Scott and Alex. It's tough to fire Alex after his big award season, but Clay Buckles has a deep sleeper. Get out of here. You're fired. Um, yeah. Which of these names do you want to talk about in the shallow, deep, and undrafted free? You know, we, we must talk a lot of pitching because we've talked all we these guys. We literally talked uh -huh. every guy listed here. Maybe the one that we didn't give 
uh, too much run to, probably because there's not a whole lot to say, is Mike Fires. I, I can't remember the last time we talked about him. We probably talked about him a while back. Um, you know, just he's just. I mean, he's a bad fastball guy with really great secondary stuff. You know, rising fastball, really good approach, throws high in the zone, and gives up home runs. So it's just kind of you know what he the, is. the risk. Yeah, the risk is that he starts missing those spots a little bit more and giving up more home runs and being like a 1.5 home runs per nine guy, and then he's going to be hard to own. I, I, he's he's really a Ted Lilly type for me. Ooh, good, and, good name. And, uh, you know, reminds me of the guys that, you know, gets you good strikeouts, has a decent whip, has a 380 RA that's somehow. A really, so. that, that, that's perfect, I think. Obviously, uh, different handedness, but other than that, the, the statistical profile really fits there with Mike Fires, and you know he can be solid for, for Houston. I've got no problem with the pick. He's probably just the one that we ne- didn't really deep dive on at any point. Anybody else right. here in the sleepers before we move on to the rookies and sophomores? Talk about Corbin. Corbin hasn't really developed a changeup, but I don't know if we we care so much. Uh, he, he throws it enough. Uh, and he, but I think basically what Corbin has done is is had a good enough command on a slider that he can back foot it. To exactly, righties. that's definitely what was going on in that 2013 season. That slider was so filthy that it was working to lefties and righties big time. And and I don't know, I thought he looked really good last year in his 85 innings, returning from Tommy John. Shackles will be off a little bit this year. Uh, we've always seen that the solid swinging strike rate at 11% these last two years, 2013, 2015, that he's pitched. And so I think there's actually a little bit of strikeout upside as well. I'm big on Corbin. Yeah, there's nothing. You know, you can you can take the, the change-up thing too far once a guy has shown as much as he's shown. Then, you know, it, and also if he pairs the changeup with his four seamer instead of pairing it with his sinker, uh, then, you know, it looks a lot better. It's almost got a 10 mile an hour gap uh, between his between his changeup and his four seam. And it's got the requisite movement differences you want. If you compare it to a sinker, it actually has less movement than a sinker, which is not great, but it's still about 10 miles an hour slower. So it's a change of pace change up rather than a, you know, a movie bend change up. Yeah, so it's still not his best pitch, but if he sequences it right, then there's and he and he's only been using about ten percent of the time. It's like, you know, they're expecting ninety two, they get eighty two. That's hard to deal with, even if the movements, you know, not that great. So in terms of outcomes, the changeup still gotten twelve percent whiffs. You know, he I think he's using it just about the right. I think he's figured out how to succeed with his pitch with his pitch sequencing and his pitches. Four hundred innings is enough with an eleven ten percent strike uh, whiff rate. Uh, almost eight strikeouts per nine. It's enough for me to say, yeah, this guy's good, and and it doesn't really matter. You don't need to worry too much about the changeup. So, um, you know, for the undrafted free agents, I really like Gerard Eikhoff. Uh, I'm glad that Sanders is on that on that boat. Uh, it looks like basically, you know, the guys that I've been we've been talking up forever. I mean, you got your Conley mm-hmm. on there. Um, you know, Gibson is the guy that I've said that you know is going to get add. That's Josh Shepardson put that one Rubby, down. He's gonna. He, he got in there. We, you know, we obviously talk Rubby up all the time. Um, you know, I don't know. We got. I say we fire Brandon Warren for Robbie Gray. Uh, <laughs> Man, we but, got. Uh, we got. A, I, I, this is tough because opening day is right around the corner. We got to hire six new writers for these terrible yeah. picks. But I think Robbie Ray versus Gerard Eikhoff is really interesting, and they're right next to each other because Chad Young also has Gerard Eikhoff. Gerard Eikhoff has like a not not a great fastball, but he has an elite. Uh, breaking ball and a second breaking ball is good. Um, whereas Robbie Ray has a really big fastball and a really good breaking ball, but no second breaking ball and no change. So 
Gerard Eikhoff, if the changeup is not that good, he's got a second breaking ball, and he can go slider, curve, fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Robbie Ray just has no – he's flying without a net. I mean, yeah, he's a great deep sleeper, but he's flying without a net. The floor is – there's no floor. The floor is re- reliever. Go, so, go in uh, Eikhoff's yeah. page, and, and I'll tout my own work here. Go check out um, – it's the fifth one down. It says, Jared Eikhoff closes strong for the Phillies. I did a piece on him that included some gifts. If you want to see those filthy curveball-slider combo that he has, I put a bunch of gifts in there, and it's nasty. And he just utterly devastated right-handers last year. If he can figure out something against lefties to just kind of keep them at bay, Eikhoff could be really nice. And then all of a sudden you're talking Nola, Velasquez, and Eikhoff. They got three guys that on any given day they can feel pretty good about running them out. Maybe Philly isn't an automatic 100-game loser all of a sudden. Yeah, and they, they I like that stuff. I actually I don't know if they're going to do it this year, so I didn't make any predictions for them or anything. But I, if I was going to throw like a Carson Sestouli, you know, on the Brewers number, I would do, actually do it on the Phillies because I think that turnaround is going to be faster than people I think. Because totally with Franco, you know, they can bring up JP Crawford. All of a sudden, you got Franco, JP Crawford. And uh, maybe you spend some money on a new first baseman or you spend some money on an outfielder um, or you spend some money on, a, on another pitcher, like a veteran pitcher, to add to that trio. They've got money to spend. So, there, you know, there's, there's going to be a moment when you say, oh, crap, you know, they're a free agent away. And, and then they do it. So um, it's funny. The rookie, the rookie one is all Jose Barrios. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's Barrios to death. It's just, Honestly, there's only one guy on there that I want to get your quick thoughts on. Brian Johnson, the Birchwood brothers picked him. Um, he was angling, I think, for that fifth starters role. It ended up going to Stephen Wright, so they're going to have to get a late start on the season. But Brian Johnson, left-hander for the uh, Boston Red Sox, what do you think of him? Any, anything worthwhile there? I don't know that his secondary stuff is good enough. I mean, I, I think he has the fastball. Um, but, uh, I don't know that the secondary stuff is good enough. And, um, uh, you know, it's just, uh, there's too much, I mean, he had, he's thrown one change up on pitch FX in his, in, in his career. So it's been a lot of fastball curve and the fastball does have some nice rise to it, but he hasn't gotten a whiff on 36 of them yet. So, um, you know, there's something about him that I think people see really well. And, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I, that one's weird to me also because I like Henry Same. Owens. And, yeah, we, we, we talked know, him up. Henry Owens, you know, I guess Brian Johnson lasted longer in camp or whatever, but um, uh, I, I, I'm I more interested in my Lucas Giolito. I'm the only one who said Lucas Giolito. That's kind of crazy. I mean, that's weird because, you know, with the, the way the Twins screw with <laughs> pitchers, you know, Jose Barrios might come up and throw only sinkers. But Lucas Giolito, you know, is with a team that loves strikeouts. And they've got Tanner Roark and Joe Ross, you know, who maybe, you know, he's got a little bit of whiff of injury around him. And, um, and just innings. I just don't know that he's going to throw a ton of innings this year, Joe Ross, even though I do like him as well. For me, it's an inning situation. Hey, y'all, we ran into some technical issues here at the very end, and we were up against the clock with Eno having to get to a doctor's appointment for his kids, so we just kind of cut it off there. I'm sorry that it's that it's a weird cutoff spot. We were really just kind of getting into the, the busts and the comebacks, but again, with the pitchers, particularly on, the, on those staff picks, there weren't too many pitchers on there that we haven't had a good 
healthy conversation about. So honestly, if you need thoughts on them, you can probably find them in previous episodes. Um, until then, though, we'll be back next week. Uh, Jason and I should be back on Sunday getting you ready for opening day. And then I think Ian and I might have an opening day extravaganza. Uh, but now that the season's going, we're really going to be trying to keep to that Sunday, Monday, Wednesday schedule. So keep that in mind as well. But uh, if you got drafts this weekend, good luck. Crush them. I've got two. Very excited, including an NL auction in Houston. And then we got live games. The next time we talk, we will have legitimate games under our belt, which is absolutely just the best. We finally made it. We made it to the finish line of stupid, dumb winter. Spring is upon us. It's officially spring once the baseball season starts. Anyway, I got to go. Have a great weekend. We'll talk on Sunday. 